Well, I got suckered on the internet a few weeks ago. Maybe something like this has happened to you. You ever see one of those items as you're scrolling through? You see something that looks a little too good to be true, but you're intrigued, and you go ahead and click on it. And I saw this product, and I clicked on it. I thought, well, this is interesting. It, it, was, a, it was a camera lens that clips onto your phone, and it clips onto the back of your phone. It's about that big. And it's supposed to be able to take really clear, sharp, detailed photos. And in the, in the example, in the picture, in the advertisement, a person is holding a phone that looks just like mine. They're pointing it at the moon. And there on the screen of their, of their, of their phone, there on the screen is the, this big picture. You can make out craters and everything. Have you ever tried to take a picture of the moon with your phone? I mean, you look at, you look at the moon, and it's so big and so bright and so beautiful. And you hold up your phone, and you take a picture, and you... This little tiny dot. You're like, well, that's not what I saw at all. So, but, well, this will be interesting. I, I clicked on it. It was cheap. It was like two bucks. I should have known right there, right? I should have known that it's not going to be what I wanted. And so I clicked on it, and, and then I waited. And they shipped it from uh, China, believe it or not. It came all the way from China. It took like a month. I think they brought it by train from China. I, I think it came by train. And it finally arrived, and I got it out of the little box that came in, and that's what I got right there. See? And in the picture, it was about this big, and it's that big. And I clipped it on my phone, and I looked, and, and there was no difference at all. And so I waited until there was a good full moon, and I went outside. And you know that tiny little blurry dot that you normally get? Mine was just a little blurrier than it used to be, just a little bit blurrier. Than, uh, than what you'd get with a regular camera phone. Well, I, I, I learned a lesson. It's a lesson I should have known before. Uh, two lessons from this waste of $2, and I think it's, it's two lessons that we need for other aspects of life. The first lesson was what I saw was not what I got, right? What I saw was not what I got. And the second, and this is where I really knew better, it was too cheap to be genuine. It was too cheap to be, to be true. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, begins with the words, let love be genuine. And when we hear those words, let love be genuine, it ought to immediately make us realize two things about love. First of all, what we see should be what we get. What we, what we see ought to be what we get. It ought to look like love. It ought to act like love. It ought to, well, it ought to love like love, right? And secondly, we know it's not going to be cheap. True love, genuine love is going to cost us. It's going to cost our time. It's going to cost of our resources. It's going to cost of ourselves. Genuine love needs to be seen in what it inspires us to do for each other. Genuine love is seen in what it inspires us to do for each other. We're looking at Romans, Romans 12 today, verses 9 through 13. If you want to use those blue Bibles in front of you, if you're from Kansas, Illinois, you're going to love this. You know what page it's on? It's on page 948. You ought to know what that is. If you, if you open up your Bible, your Bible ought to just fall open to 948 if you're from Kansas, Illinois. Uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Again, love, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let love 
be genuine. It's got to look like love, and it's got to cost like love. And as Paul lays out this description of genuine love in the next few verses, he, he packs these verses full, and he calls us to examine our motives, to examine our practices, to, to examine ourselves. There's a lot of questions we can ask about love as we examine the fruit of the Spirit and as we begin with, with love, the way, that we, the way that we love one another, the way that we love our families, the way that we love people in our church. The genuine love that Paul describes ought to cause us to ask ourselves, do we hold to Jesus' love as much as His love holds to us? Are we clinging as tightly to Jesus as Jesus clings to us? You know, the very first way there in verse 9 that Paul tells us how to know the genuineness of love, the very first way is not even about love. It's not about love at all. It's not about what you say to someone else and how you express your love. It's not about what you do for other people to show them your love. The very first thing that Paul tells us is really, it's about ourselves. It's about who you are. It's about what you value. Again, verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And he gives us two polar opposites there. Abhor what is evil. That's a great word, abhor. Do you use the word abhor a lot? I, I don't. It's not one of my words that I go to an off, uh, very often at all. Abhor doesn't mean just, it doesn't mean just to dislike. It, it means to express horror from. That you're going to express horror from these things. These things cause you to cringe. These things cause you to turn away. Genuine love doesn't start with other people. It, it starts with what's going on inside you. It starts with what's going on in, inside you. What is it that you abhor, and what is it that you cling to? Now, this is probably a great place to have a refresher, because before Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians chapter 5, he lists what he calls the works of the flesh. And it's a longer list than the list of the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul begins in Galatians 5.19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, I don't even have to tell you that these come from the flesh. That there is no way you can look at this list and say, well, that's godly. That's obviously from God. It's not. There's no way that you can see anything on this list is coming from anything but, but ourselves. He says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then he gets tired of writing, I think, and he just says, and things like these, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things ought to be abhorrent to us. They ought to cause us to recoil. They ought to cause us to stay away from them. Did you notice what he says? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is nothing good that can come from these practices, so why would you cling to them? And yet, if we were honest, and if we took them piece by piece, how many of the items on that list of the works of the flesh, how many of them are found in the things that we consider entertaining? in the things that we read, in the things that we 
watch, if we were to honestly look at the books that we've read, the, the, the things that we count as entertainment, the movies that we watch, the TV series that we watch, how many of them include sexual immorality? Don't make me start listing. <laughs> Impurity. Sensuality. How many commercials that you watch involve idolatry? Uh, how many of the things that, that we dwell on, the things that go through our mind on any given day, the things that we think about over and over again, how many of them are about strife? How many of them are about jealousy? How many of them are fits of anger? How many of them are dissensions and divisions, dividing up how much is, is envy and the other things listed here? These things ought to cause us to, to recoil. We ought to look at this list and say, you know, nothing, nothing good can grow from this list. Nothing good can come from this list. I cannot take all of the things on this list and make love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, or any of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit out of them. We should not hold fast to these things. We, we should abhor them, and instead we should hold fast to what is good. And I'll, be the, I'll be the first to admit, that's not always easy, and... I am not here to beat you up about the things that you watch on TV or what's in your Netflix queue. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to beat you up. And you know, the, the other side of that list is for some of you, some horrible things have been done to you. Some, some abhorrent things have been done to you, and, and that stuff is hard to let go. And, and I know it, it, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's such a part of, of who you've been, but you can't let that define you. You can't let those abhorrent things that have been done to you become the reason why you don't love or you don't have joy or you don't have peace or you're not patient or you're not kind. Last week we looked at Ephesians 3 and in Ephesians 3 verse 17, Paul reminds us that you and I as Christians, we have been rooted and grounded in Christ's love. That's been done for us. It's already done for us. We have been rooted and grounded in Christ's love. Christ's love is connected to us. We are rooted in it. That's what Jesus has done for you. And so can you hold tighter to that than to the evil that has been done to you or the evil that you know so well? Do we hold on to His love as much as His love holds on to us? See, that's, that's where it starts. And then we have to ask, does love define our relationships with each other? Does love define the way that we relate to one another? Every now and then, We'll make the comment, we'll say something like, well, I have to love you. I guess I love you because Jesus says I have to. <laughs> you know, we'll laugh about that and that's always kind of fun. Yes, I have to love you. Jesus says I have to love you. I don't really want to, but, but I guess I'm going to have to love you. And we, we have fun, you know, we, we kind of enjoy ribbing each other a little bit like that. But, but I hope we realize that love is more than an obligation. I'm afraid sometimes we treat love like it's an obligation. It's not a... It's not a want to, it's a have to. And, and I, I have to love you because we're told that, that we have to love each other. But Paul tells us instead, we need to make it personal. We need to make it about relationships. Verse 10, he says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Love one another, he says. Be devoted to one another out of brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another as you're devoted to family. I have to be cautious about this because I know some of your families and I know how you do get along and I know how you don't always get along with your brothers and sisters. Right, my sister? Um, 
Well, I understand that. But you think of the very best. You think of the very best way that siblings are there for one another, that, that brotherly affection, that sisterly affection. You think of the very best way that brothers and sisters are there to care for one another and to protect one another. I think about a friend of mine that I went to college with, and he and his little brother grew up in a very abusive household. And he, he told me stories in college that, that were very, very difficult, that things that their father would do. And it's only been in the last few years that I believe that his little brother, who's now an adult, has come to understand what his big brother did for him in the way that he protected him. The way as a, as a child he would take on their father when their father was abusive. The way that he watched out for his, his little brother. Now that's, that's an extreme example, but, but that's what's written. That, that's the idea that's behind what Paul is saying here. That's the idea behind love one another with brotherly affection. The very best of how we know how to treat family. The very best of how we know how to treat family ought to be seen in our treatment of each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You think of family. You think of those who have known you the longest. Those who, who have loved you the deepest. Those who know firsthand the source of your pain and exactly what it is that brings you joy. That ought to be seen in the way we love each other. Not out of obligation. Not because, well, Jesus says... I have to love you, but because you're family, because I want the best for you. Now, what's that look like? What, what does that look like? What are we going to do with that? Verse 11, Paul gives us this quick fire list. He says there in, in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. It, it's this very quick list, and that's what I want you to notice about it. It's not just about doing the best for someone, it's about doing the best quickly for them. Don't be slothful. Don't be slow. Be fervent. Make it happen now. Get busy. And then there's that third one. He says, serve the Lord. You see what he's saying with that? When I love my brother or sister in Christ, the best I know how, I'm truly serving Jesus himself. It's Jesus that I'm loving when I love you as best I can. You see, he calls us to ask ourselves, does our love point to something greater than ourselves? Does my love point to something greater than myself? Does, does our love point to Jesus? In my love for you and your love for me, are we truly serving the Lord? You remember what he said in verse 9? Let love be genuine. What makes it genuine? It looks like love, and it's going to cost like love. That makes it genuine. And if it's genuine, then it's not just about what I can do for you. It's not just about what, what you can do for me. It's, it's about how we love Jesus. It's genuine in that it points to someone greater than ourselves. Now I want to warn you about something here in this passage. I want to look back over verses 11 through 13 one more time. Look, look at those three verses. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in, the spirit, in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Three verses right there. There are eight commands in those three verses. Paul packs them full of commands. Every one of those statements is, you must do this, you must do that, you must do this, over and over again. Preachers love passages like that. We do. It makes our job so much easier. You know, if I just stand up here and hammer your toes with, with, a, with eight commands over the course of three verses, and there's even more commands in this whole passage. I mean, I mean we can just stand up here and I can make you feel miserable for all the lousy things that you do and the way that you don't work hard enough. And, you, and you'd, you'd come away and you'd say, ooh, he really stepped on my toes this day. You know, that sermon really stepped on my toes. 
Or maybe you'd say, I hope that person was listening because he was really talking about them. Did you notice what he said? They do that all the time. You know, we'd we'd point fingers and and we'd feel hurt and we'd hope other people got hurt also. I don't like to do that. That's not my style of preaching. I I don't want to do that. Instead, I want us to ask ourselves, is there any chance that my love, the way that I show love, is there any chance that my love points to something bigger than me? If we're not careful, we get really self-serving in our love. We can really get self-serving in our love. And and we can find ourselves being really, really loving and then saying, did you see what I did? Did you see how I gave? Did you see how I helped those people? Did you see what I did over there? And I want to be clear, you know, we... Recognition is important. When someone serves well, they they ought to be recognized. But is that the motivation? That's not the motivation to to love and to serve and to bless others. We need to ask ourselves, does does that attitude where we seek to, to make ourselves look good, does that attitude sound like love? Does it look like love or does it look just a little too cheap? Can we do something that points to someone who is greater than ourselves? And you look at the list that Paul gives. Are you able to help other people hold on to their hope? Can you help someone going through a difficult time hold on to the hope that they need? He says uh, to, to rejoice in hope. Can we, can we help someone going through a difficult time and can we be patient with them knowing that, that they're going through some difficulties? We might even say they're going through some tribulations. Can we be patient with them in that? And no matter what the need, can we be constant in prayer? Can we look at someone who's hurting and say, I'm going to be on my knees every day praying for you and praying for your need. When someone has a need, can we find ways to help out? He says, contributing to the needs of the saints. Can we find some way to help, to contribute, to to bless them? And can you welcome people who are in need of an open door? Can we show hospitality and offer friendship? And no, it's not always going to be easy. And it's not ever going to be cheap. But it will be genuine. Because it looks like love, and it costs like love. Some of you have received a copy of, uh, of this book from me. Some of you have received a copy. This is your next 24 hours. One day of kindness can change everything. I read this book late last year, and I fell in love with it. And, and it just struck me. The whole book is about being kind and how just being kind, finding ways to be kind, little acts of kindness, how it can change the world, how it can change other people. And, and after I read this book, I said, you know, I, I love this so much, I want to make sure other people read it. And so I've committed this year to giving away one copy of this every week. I'm going to buy out Amazon. I'm going to own Amazon by the time I'm done. But uh, I've decided I'm going to give away a copy. So several of you will get copies sooner or later in the next 52 weeks or however many weeks we've got left. There's some wonderful stories of kindness in this book, and and I just love, they're so simple, and yet they're so clearly seen, you can clearly see the kindness. There's a story in here about a a woman named Kayla Lane, and Kayla is a waitress at the West Side Cafe, and if you know anything about waitresses, they don't make a lot of money, do they? Any former waitresses or current waitresses, you don't make a lot of money being a waitress. And one day, a couple customers came in, Sean and... Debbie and Kayla found out that Sean and Debbie had just lost their baby. Nine-week-old baby had passed away. And she served them their meal. And when it came time to bring the bill, she, she brought the ticket out and written there on the ticket were these words, your ticket has been paid for. 
We are terribly sorry for your loss. God bless. And she signed it West Side Cafe. She didn't sign it Kayla. She signed it the West Side Cafe. You read that story and it seems like a, a nice gesture that someone would do that. And then you find out that that story was actually submitted by the owner and the co-workers that Kayla has because Kayla does that all the time. She doesn't make much, but she pays for the meals of those who are hurting. She pays for the meals of, of firefighters. She pays for the meals of police officers. She pays for the meals of soldiers. It's such a, such a simple thing, and yet it makes a huge impact, doesn't it? So, so this week, I want to give you a challenge. I want to ask you to do something this week. And I'm going to keep it easy. Because there are eight commands in three verses here, and I'm not going to throw eight, I'm not going to throw eight commands at you. I'm going to throw three commands at you. Verse 12. Romans 12, 12. To even make it easier, it's on the front of your bulletin. Don't lose your bulletin. Hold on to your bulletin this week. Romans 12, 12 is on your bulletin. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And this week I want to ask you, find someone who needs you to help them hold on to hope. Find someone who needs, to help, needs you to help them hold on to hope. I think there's some people in here who need that. And I know there are some people on our prayer list that need that. I'll make it even easier. They're on our prayer list. And then there will be a, a few others also. Find someone that needs you to help them hold on to hope. Or find someone who is struggling to hold on through a difficult time. We might even call it a tribulation or a, a time of trial. And, and you, you find a way to be patient with that person. <laughs> That's not always easy. But find a way to be patient in that. Or find someone who just simply needs to know, I don't understand what you're going through. I can't begin to feel what you're feeling or, or know what your pain is. But I am praying for you. I am going to be constant in prayer, and I won't give up praying for you. Can you find someone to do that? Can we show a sight of hands? Can you find someone to do that for? Come on, give me a hand. I see that hand. That's wonderful. Find somebody to, to, to love. Find someone to show that genuine love, because that's, that's what genuine love looks like. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we want to know your love. Every one of us wants to know your love. But Father, to know your love, we have to show it. We have to genuinely show it. We want the way that we love other people to ultimately point them to you and, and point them to the way that you can love them even better than us. And so this week, we ask for grace to do that. We ask for wisdom as we encounter those who need hope. Let us help them hold on to you so that we can rejoice together. For those that are going through tough times, Help us to be patient with them as they wait on you for answers and for healing. And above all, even if we can find no other way to genuinely love someone, give us the kind of hearts that are constant in prayer, committed to seeking you for their very best. Father, we've, we've been reminded this week again, there is a lot of evil in our world, and there are a lot, there's a lot of evil in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. Hardly a day passes without the awareness of the evil that we do and that which has been done to us. And as strong as that pull is, I pray we hold all the tighter to you. And I pray that we can help others hold more tightly to you. To your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.